actually going to talk about using wisdom. We're in our Reality Check series, and uh, the first sermon we, we shared could have gone along with the sermon series, but we didn't put it in there proper. But uh, we talked about seeing people for who they really are, getting to know them, and the, the key to communication is not what is said, but what is heard. That's exactly right. And based on where we come and where we grow up and where what our education has been and our experiences, who we are, our worldview, that will affect how you hear things. And so the only way to truly effectively communicate is to know people enough to know how they need to hear things from us. And so last week, what did we talk about? What was our, what was our uh, topic last week? The purpose for our life. As Christians, we talk a lot about purpose, and we say, oh, my purpose is to glorify God, and we decided together that we're all probably really lousy at that, if we're honest, and we, uh, to be a soul winner, to be a good pastor and fill the church, to, to make a lot of money, we talked about all these purposes, we say, purpose, purpose, purpose for life, and then we looked at Scripture, and we found out what is God's purpose for our lives, just to be with Him, that's why He made us. All those other things are, are well and good, but those are our calling. Our purpose is just, just to be with Him. And knowing our calling helps us understand our purpose. Today we're going to talk about wisdom. What does it mean to be wise? What does the Bible say about wisdom? The world tells us wisdom is being really smart or exercising good judgment. The problem is we live in this world, don't we? <laughs> Most of us live in this world. A few of us, it's questionable. Uh, are, are, is this thing on today? Did you hear what I said? It, a few of us, it's questionable about whether we live in this world. Uh, but because we're lived in the, we live in this world, we are wired, we are conditioned to show wisdom according to this world. The, the, the problem that we have is that this world and God's kingdom are two opposites. And so what may seem like wisdom for the world is not necessarily wisdom in God's kingdom. So we need to ask ourselves, what is true wisdom? What does a wise person look like according to Scripture? So that will be our study today. And uh, this will all play into how we interact with each other in the church, how we interact with people around us, how we think about politics, how we think about relationships, how we think about how we should relate to people that uh, want to join us here in our church. What is true godly wisdom? It affects every area of our lives. So let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer again. Father, please send us your Spirit. Lord, we are so wired and conditioned to think according to worldly wisdom, but Lord, we know that we need to think like your kingdom should think, like your children should think. So please bless us to this end. Join us in the study today, we pray. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we are going to get the straight answer from Scripture right here in the beginning. What does the Bible say wisdom is? What is wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Have you got it? We are going to begin reading in verse 18. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, says, For the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So right there he's saying there's something about God's ways that make absolutely no sense to the way this world thinks. Did you catch that, yes or no? There's something about how heaven works, about how God thinks, about how we're to think, that really does not coincide or or link up with what this world thinks. No one was expecting a Messiah to come and die on a cross, a shameful death. Everyone thought there were various ideas about who the Messiah would be and what he would be, uh, when he would come, but no one was expecting him to die the most shameful death then known to man. No one was expecting that. Military leader, a king, uh, a miracle worker, a prophet, any of those things, but surely not this humble servant who would give up his life. Verse 20 says, Where is one who is, what's that word? Wise, where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the what? Huh, how about that? Let me tell you something. This is why we need to keep our politics to ourselves. Let me tell you why. Earthly governments are designed to operate in this world. Isn't that true, yes or no? So, if the Lord has put to shame the wisdom of this world, the Lord has put to shame earthly governments. Do I need to say that again? Because I think everybody needs to hear that. Some people have made our current sitting president Caesar. Okay? Willing to overlook all kinds of nastiness for the greater good of what they th- we think our country will endure. Here's the thing, friends. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are things that may be good for your country, but are not good for your Christianity. Are you with me? Did you know that in Rome, they worshipped Caesar as a god? And all of your allegiance and all of your loyalty had to go to Caesar. And if you didn't give allegiance properly, you were not considered a good Roman and a threat to national security. It was called the Roman Imperial Cult. Revelation 13 is filled with that and warns us. And here's the thing, friends. Most of us in this room are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. I am truly worried 
that we are getting mixed up in end-time Babylon when it comes to politics. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. I'm saying stop making enemies and posting that nonsense on Facebook. Our job is to build bridges and win souls for Christ. And here we are arguing about Trump and Biden. Stop it! We are counterproductive. And it's because we are wired, we are wired to believe conspiracy theories. We are wired to, to, to think according to the wisdom of the world and, and fit in and follow the leader that we think best fits. But the, the Bible is telling us that the Lord Jesus has put to shame that stuff. It's time that we stand for the kingdom. I've, I've always said this, or often said this, Jesus was the most political person to ever walk the face of the earth and the least political person to walk the face of the earth. He was the least political person because he didn't care about Rome. He didn't care about you know, how the Jews had ordered society. But you know what he did care about? His kingdom. He cared about his kingdom. And his kingdom flew in the face of Rome. And it flew in the face of the, of the Jewish system. And so that's why everybody hated him. You should find yourself as a Christian not fitting in with Democrats or Republicans. Every Christian should be an independent. Because there's things that the Democrats do, we as Christians have to say, you know what? That goes biblically with what I believe. And then there's things that the Republicans do that we should go, you know what? That kind of fits biblically with what I believe. But then you should look at both of them and go, neither one of them fit because I am a kingdom citizen. So if you have an opinion, wonderful. Vote. Do your duty as a Christian. But stop the political nonsense. Because we are making enemies of people that we're supposed to win to Christ. The cross has put to shame worldly wisdom. He's put to shame earthly governments. And my friends, I'm thankful for this country. Don't get me wrong. But you all know what Revelation says about this country. It's headed to a place that brings the loss of freedom. So don't get wrapped up in worldly wisdom and sucked into Babylon. But the thing is, this comes in all areas of our lives. We are so ingrained to think according to the ways of the world and not according to the kingdom of God, it's really easy to get sucked into stuff. <clears throat> because the ways of the world, you know, it has to do with our comfort and, and things that we can see and things that are tangible, and, and we try to make sense of it all, don't we? But what the Bible has said is what God has done has put to shame the way we think about stuff. Because, you know, as a human, would you want to follow a leader who said, I'm going to die. 
I'm only going to be around for three years and then I'm going to die. Not only am I going to die, I am going to die the most shameful death ever conceived by man, hanging naked and nailed to a tree. Would your worldly wisdom say, yeah, I want to follow that guy? Not at all, would it? I mean, it would make no sense. Why would you follow that leader? There was a greater message here. There was a greater power at work. So let's go back to the word. Where is the one who is wise in verse 20? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through what? What does that verse 21 say? Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. That seems to make no sense, doesn't it? What is he saying there? Somebody tell me. Human wisdom. The way we think cannot recognize God's wisdom. How about that? The way we think about things does not coincide with heaven's wisdom. It pleased God, I love this, through the folly of what we preach. What do we preach? The cross. We preach Christ, right? The folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So according to Scripture, what is the definition of wisdom? We just read it. Christ in Him crucified, yes, but even more specifically, Jesus Himself. Did you catch that? It says, For Jews demand signs in verse 22, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we, cri- we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and the folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And being the Christ, it includes Him being crucified. That's part of what it means to be the Christ. But you might be thinking, what in the world does that mean? How is Jesus wisdom? Because we think of wisdom as exercising good judgment or having intelligence or you know, being a good leader, a wise person. What does it mean that Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God? I'm going to go ahead and continue to read in verse 26. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Thanks for the compliment, Paul. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. He's talking to the church here. But God chose what is foolish in the world to do what? To shame the wise, confound the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Democrats and Republicans." Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Jesus is the wisdom of God. What does that mean, though? How, how can I put my hands on that, really grasp it and understand it? If I had to put it in a sentence, I'd say it this way. Wisdom is not what God said, even though it is what God said. We'll get into that, but... Don't think of it this way. Wisdom is not just what God said. It's not just what God did. It's not just what God possesses or commanded. Wisdom is what Jesus is. Wisdom is, thank you, sir. He knew that I got into politics, so I probably need a little bit of hydration. Wisdom is what Jesus is. And this is why as Christians, and as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, the mistake that we've made in the past is thinking of Christ and the message of the gospel and the cross as one of the things that we believe. You know, we believe in the state of the dead, and we believe in the second coming, and we believe in this, and we believe in that, and then also we believe that Jesus died for us. What Paul is telling us here is that everything we believe is Jesus died for us. So the second coming fits into that, and the state of the dead fits into that. It's all the message of the cross. Every part of life should be understood through who Jesus is. He's not just one thing we believe. Everything we believe, everything that we perceive, everything that we understand should be through the person of Jesus. What do I mean by that? It's still hard to understand. In a broken and fallen world, how can we know what life is all about? Heard that term Babylon in Revelation? Confusion? There's a lot of confusion around us, isn't there? Political confusion, theological confusion, uh, just confusion in life we're not sure sometimes what's up and what's down and what decision we should make and it's confusing isn't it and that confusion uh, affects the way that we see who God is you understand that right I'm going to use an illustration a little bit later to tell you a little bit clearly you'll see it how that plays out in our lives but all this confusion around us affects the way that we view God and here's the thing, the way that you view God affects everything else. If you believe as God is a harsh, dictatorial commandment giver only, that's how you'll treat people. And that's how you'll believe God relates to you. If you believe that God is simply this, you know, just nice grandfatherly figure up in the sky who will give you a quarter whenever he sees you, that will affect you know, your relationship with Him, how you see yourself, how you relate to failures and mistakes, and how you relate to others. 
If you think that God, yeah, exists and Jesus died for you, but you keep that sort of separate, that, that world kind of separate, that knowledge separate in your mind, and then you know, the rest of your life is over here, it will affect your relationship with God and with other people and the choices that you make in this world. Are you with me? Here's what I'm about to, to bring out to you and show you from Scripture. Jesus is the embodiment of every intention God had for life. Why did God make the world? Well, you know, I think God made the world because... No, 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 no. Look at Jesus. Why did God make the world? You tell me. Now tell me what, why God made the world. Go ahead, tell me. To be with us. What else? Why else did He make the world? For us to live in. To be a beautiful place where we can love each other. To rejoice. Where we'll never go hungry. You seeing that? We can have all these different opinions about creation, but when you look at it through who Jesus is, it changes our perspective and our opinion, doesn't it? Jesus is the embodiment. All of God's intentions when He said, let there be light. All of God's intentions when He made blades of grass and the laws of science and He made the the earth revolve around the sun and, and He made the moon and the stars. All of God's intention and all of God's creation He put into a human. Grasp that for a second. So whatever God did in creation, He put into Jesus. So what Jesus said and what He did and how He lived and what His intentions were for us, all of God's intentions for all of creation He put into a person. You see now why it's so important that we know Christ? Because there's a whole lot of things you can... I mean, just look at what pagans did. We're going to read this passage in just a second. Pagans looked at the creation and began to worship the creation instead of the Creator. They made idols, didn't they? We can get really confused as human beings and confused about who God is because of our circumstances and, and all of these things. So God cleared up all the questions about life and creation and why things happen and all of this in the person of Jesus. When God said, let there be light, He knew that Jesus would be the light of the world. Turn with me to John chapter 1. This is a, a famous passage of Scripture. Some of you might ha even have it memorized. John chapter 1. I want you to see this. John 1, beginning in verse 1. I love John's book. So deep and theological, and he's connected dots that the other gospel authors uh, have not connected. Have you got it? It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you jump over to verse 14, as we so often do, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's talking about Jesus, isn't it? So the Word of God became flesh and blood. Here's what I love about the Gospel. Here's what I love about the truth of Scripture. God does not ask you to believe in fairy tales. God doesn't ask you to believe in just stories. God doesn't ask you to believe just because He said it. God asks you to believe in a person. Real flesh and blood who historically lived. Real flesh and blood. All of our faith, all of Scripture, all of creation is summed up in a real figure in in history. That's why Paul says later, if you get rid of Christ in the resurrection, there's nothing left to our faith. And that's what's one of the things that separates Christianity from every other world religion. You can get rid of Buddha and you can still have Buddhism. You can get rid of Muhammad and you'll still have Islam. But if you get rid of Jesus, there's nothing left to Christianity. Because He is everything God ever said. He is everything God ever intended. And that's what John is saying here. Now, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The beginning was the Word. Let's let's flesh that out a little bit. That's a pun, and the pun is intended. Let's flesh that out a little bit. What do we mean by that? When you speak, what are you doing? You're communicating. That's right, you're communicating. And when you're communicating, usually you're using words. You're using words. So what John is saying is God's communication existed before creation. It always existed. God has always been trying to communicate Himself to His creation. You want a deep thought? you got to be awake for this one. Here's an even deeper thought. Some of you have been saying, well, it's been deep the entire time, Pastor. Listen to this. Even angels don't fully know who God is. Think about that for a second. They are finite created beings. He is an infinite God. A creation can never fully grasp the fullness of its creator. So even though they stand in His presence and sing His praises they still cannot fully comprehend their Creator. Isn't that incredible? Don't you ever think Christianity is boring or heaven will be boring because we're constantly going to be discovering things. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was God's communication. His authority through what He was trying to, to, to convey. And it says that He was in the beginning and in Him was life. In God's communication was life. And in the beginning, what did God say? Let there be light. Let there be a firmament. Let there be land animals. Let there be all these parts of creation. Now let me ask you this question. Let's bring it down here for a second. What is John saying about creation? I want to know if you've been tracking this. Remember, a word 
is your communication. It's your testimony. So what was God doing in the creation? I heard somebody whisper it. He was testifying. What was he testifying to? Who he was. You got it. You got it. He was testifying. He was making the case for who he is. To angels, to other living creatures, if there's other living creatures on other planets, and most importantly, to you and me who live on this planet. Everything God did in creation was Him testifying to who He is. Are you with me? Every law of science, every twinkling star, every cool breeze on a hot day, every wave of the ocean, every piece of sand on the beach, it was all God testifying to who He is. Isn't that an incredible thought? That's why Paul says in Romans, and the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Every bird, every animal testifies to who God is. It's His Word. It's His testimony. That's why... I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a whole bunch of stuff today. You'll remember some of it, you'll forget others. But remember how we say the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Okay, think about this. It just makes perfect sense. And we often just specifically say, well, that's about Ellen White, which it is, but it's not directly about Ellen White. Think about this. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What was Jesus testifying to? What was Jesus testifying to? Who God is. A prophet's job is to tell people who God is. You following that? It just makes perfect sense. And that's what John is saying Jesus did. And the word, the same word that God said, let there be light. When God said, let there be light, He was saying the same thing to Mary when He was saying, you are going to be with child. Through Jesus, God was saying, let there be light. Through Jesus, God was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He was saying the same thing when He put the world into existence. It's the same testimony. Are you with me? So now tell me about what we hold in our hands. What is this? It's the Word, isn't it? If the Word was the testimony, what you hold in your hands is the same power that God spoke into existence at creation. It's the same Spirit behind why Jesus came to live and die and rise again. That's why people have given their lives for this. It means something. It's worth something. It's God's testimony to this world. So if you ever are wondering who God is, if you're ever wondering what creation is about, if you're ever wondering who He really is amid all of the confusion and the, the problems and the issues of this world, stop 
looking other places and look to Jesus. That's why we say Babylon or confusion fell when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Because it cleared up every question. That's why when Jesus ascended back to heaven, the angels were ready to finally kick Lucifer out once and for all. Because every question had been answered. There were all these questions about who God was and all these questions about what God's intentions were and was He really just and was He really who He says He is. And after Jesus was lifted up and He rose again, every question was answered. So heaven has shut Lucifer out. The question is, have we? Heaven's mind is made up. What about yours? Seriously. What more does God have to say? What more does He have to say to us? So all of God's intention in creation was summed up in Jesus in flesh and blood. Can you imagine that? Now do you see how important it is for us to know Him? God knew how confusing the wisdom and the thinking of this world would be. And He saw His children getting confused left and right. And you know what He did? Just when the world needed it most, He sent His Son. Just when the world needed it most. To clear up all of the confusion. You following this, yes or no? Are you warm? It seems like we're getting a little sleepy. Okay. All right. I want to ask you to think about this for just a second. If you had to draw a picture of God, don't answer this out loud yet, but if you had to draw a picture of God, what would you draw? That's a very honest answer. I hope that's not true, but it's a very honest answer and probably actual reality for most of us. But if you had to draw a picture of God, think about this for just a second. If you're going to draw a picture of God, what would you draw? Okay, I heard a heart. What else? A cross, okay, a cross. The world, okay? What else would you draw? Nature. What else? I heard something over here. Love. Jesus, Some, all of you are being very nice grace-based Christians right now. Because there's some people that would say the Ten Commandments. The law. Okay? Now, why is it that we all have different pictures? We see God differently. Why? Why do we see God differently? Why do we all have a different picture? I mean, we're all in the same church right here today. Many of us belong to the same denomination. Different experiences, different lives, different education, different personalities. That's exactly right. Now I want to ask you a question. Are those things helpful or harmful? They're both. 
That's exactly right. They're both. They're both. Now, let me ask you this question. Is there a correct picture? Turn to Colossians 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. Seems like we've gotten way off track from wisdom. Don't worry, we're getting back there. The, plan, the plane will land in the right place, trust me. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, are you there? It says, He, who is He? Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Some of you are going, what? Here's the thing. When you think of God, you're supposed to think of Jesus. God, the Father, is spirit. He's fire. He's infinite. He is beyond the recognition even of angels if He did not condescend Himself in a way that they can understand. You okay with that? He is beyond our comprehension. And so, because He's beyond our comprehension, we have a tendency, listen to me now, we have a tendency, and that's when well, whoever said we draw ourselves was on the right track. Because God is beyond our comprehension, we have a tendency to craft a God of our own design in our heads. And when we craft a God of our own design, guess who he looks like most often? Me. Not in your head. In my head, he looks like me. And in your head, he looks like you. You might be saying, no, that's not true, pastor. There's things about me that I know aren't godly. You will craft, we all craft a God who resembles us in some way in our head because we have to try and make sense of this world, don't we? And we've got, and because we live in this world, we're trying to make sense of this world and make sense of a God who made this world. We want to relate. But here's the thing. When we do that, what kind of wisdom are we using? Worldly wisdom. That's exactly what the Greeks did. Remember when we read from Paul? said the Greeks seek wisdom. They wanted to make sense of their gods. They wanted to, to, to make their gods so practical and understandable and relatable to the world that they were living in that their gods ended up resembling them. Lustful, prideful, you know, angry. They, they resembled them. And then that's why Paul says, true wisdom is Jesus. True wisdom is the cross and, and Christ crucified because our wisdom is confounded and embarrassed when we look at Jesus. That's why in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, all of creation testifies to the glory of God. So much so that it even answers the deepest things about Him. 
But, do you know what happened? He goes on to say in Romans 1, human beings got in the way and confused it all. And they began to worship the creation and not the creator. That's what we do. You might be thinking, well, I'm not a pagan. And I say, yes, you are, because I am and all of us are. Because we have life experiences, we have things that go on in this world, and what we end up doing is crafting a God with our own hands and placing him in our head. And then what do we exercise wisdom out of? The God that we made, not God as he is. Did you know that you can believe in a God that doesn't even exist? Did you know that all of us, in some way, believe in a God that doesn't actually exist? How does that sit with you? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Pastor, what are you talking about? I have the truth. As if you can possess it. Like, you know, here's the truth. I've got it in my pocket. All of us believe in a God of our own design. That's why the Lord says, in Christ was light and life, but the light came, and what happened? The darkness did not comprehend it because everybody had their own idea of who God was in their head, and so when God was standing in front of them, guess what happened? They didn't even recognize him. Isn't that heavy? And here's why this is such a trouble in the life of a Christian and in the church. We think our God needs to be stuck up for. Did you hear me? And we fight harder to stick up for a God because that God is weak. You know why? Life gets complicated and bigger than what we can fit between our ears. And because we create a God that, that fits nicely between our ears in our head, when life gets more complicated than we can comprehend, you know what happens? Life gets bigger than our God. And then what do you do? And so we stick up for our... And so the, the, the picture of God that we have in our head affects our relationship with Him. And it says things like, I'm too great a sinner. God could never love me. I've messed up again. God could never love me. Or God has been hard with me. I need to be hard with other people. You hearing me? It affects how you relate to God and it affects how you relate to other people. Here's the danger, friends. Please listen to what I'm about to say. Many of us have chased people out of the church thinking that we're standing up for God when we're really only standing up for the God that exists in our head. That is not wisdom. I mean, just think about this. <laughs> if we have been a bad witness or we've physically stood at the door and chased people away, how foolish is that? 
Because we should expect people to come in here and meet the Lord, right? So why would we keep anybody out? If in here is where they meet Him, don't we want them in here? It's foolishness to try and keep people out. There are certain circumstances, like as we studied this morning in the Sabbath school lesson, the church is a body and one of the organs becomes diseased. And we as a church surround that organ and try to heal it. But sometimes the organ refuses to be healed and it affects the rest of the body and sometimes that organ has to be removed. Doctrinally ill. Attitudinally ill. We know these circumstances. But all in all, largely, we should look like a big giant mess in here. You know why? Because we are. You know someone is not using wisdom when you say, when they say, I've made it. I've got no problems. You know how I know they're not using wisdom? Because that's the point where they stop comparing themselves to Jesus and seeing him as he really is. And thinking that somehow, some way, you can be perfect enough to stand before as a human being, stand before an infinite God that is beyond the comprehension of finite beings, so much so that angels can't even comprehend him. A finite being somehow standing before him perfect? You don't understand the depth of your own humanity if you believe that. No, that's not to say we can't overcome known things in our lives. Don't get me wrong. That's not to say that there's not a rebirth and a resurgence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Don't, don't think that I'm not saying that. We, we believe in victory. We believe in overcoming. But if you think you've arrived so much so that all of the stuff that once was in you is completely gone and you don't struggle anymore so much so that you would keep someone out, that's not wisdom. It's not wisdom. You are forgetting from whence you came. And the moment you forget where you came from and how much of a struggle it was to get where you are, I think you're actually starting over. Right? Because you have to know that some of us where are issues on the outside? We have four-foot blue mohawks, tattoos all over our bodies. Some of us wear our issues on the outside, don't we? And there's others that dress nice and look the part, but you're just holding your stuff on the inside. God knows what that stuff is. You're not fooling him. God knows what he's brought you through. And God knows what you're still struggling with. We have to understand that all of us have created a God in our mind of our own design 
so that no one will talk exactly like we do. Is that okay? Did Peter talk like Jesus when Peter met Jesus? <laughs> I, I, I suspect that Peter was still cursing when he fir- first met Jesus because he was a fisherman. He was a rugged dude, rough around the edges. He didn't talk like Jesus, but yet Jesus said, come on. No one will dress like you. Okay? Because they aren't you. Some of you might be questioning my wardrobe selection today. Some people would say, Pastor, you took off your coat. In Hawaii, if you don't come to church in shorts, they say, what's wrong with you? In some churches, ladies, if you don't have a hat on, you're not holy. Why is this? Cultural gods. There was one very famous, prominent preacher, I won't say who it was, who his wife told us a story. She didn't go to church one day with gloves on. And the church was ready to ride her out of town on a rail. God of a cultural God of our own minds. Would somebody please tell me in the Bible where it says you have to wear gloves to church? Or hats? You know what I found with people? If you have a problem with the, with the way they dress the first time they come to church, the God of our head, the God that doesn't exist, says, you're not like us, you shouldn't be here. Here's the thing, friends. A spiritually mature, wise person allows other people to make decisions that you don't agree with, and it doesn't affect your spiritual life, your walk with the Lord. So you can still love them. A spiritually immature, unwise person says, you're not like me, you can't be here. Spiritual maturity acts like Christ. Jesus doesn't force you to be like him, does he? He doesn't force it. He wants it. And what I've found 99.9% of the time is when someone starts off rough and the church body loves that person, you don't even have to point out the stuff. It just changes. But in our own minds, worshiping the God of our own heads, we push someone away and they never have the opportunity to come into the body to change. You following me? Am I stepping on your toes today? I should be. I'm stepping on my own toes because I'm also saying I've, I make a God of my own design in my head. We all need to know God for who He is. No per other person will behave exactly like we, you do. No one will react like you do. No one will speak as you do. No one will do anything exactly the way you do. Don't expect them to. They aren't you. It takes biblical and spiritual maturity and wisdom to see people making decisions around us that we don't agree with and still love them. Recognizing that they are on the same path as us and they're discovering God just like we are. Spiritual. 
spiritual immaturity simply writes people off because their journey doesn't resemble our own at the moment. Do I need to say that again? Spiritual immaturity writes people off because their journey doesn't resemble ours at the moment. There's a parable about that in the Bible. Jesus talks about it, about the maturity of the seed at different stages, how it's perfect at each different stage, still growing. But if you're a fully grown stalk, I want to question your walk with the Lord if you think you're there. But if you're a fully grown stalk, don't judge the person who's at the seed stage because you can't get to be the fully grown stalk if you don't start off as a seed. Being God's church and having this maturity comes back to relying on biblical wisdom. Think about this. Earthly wisdom has us make sense. We have to protect the church. And if we have to protect the church, this is what we have to do, X, Y, and Z. And the Lord says, hang on, this is my church. We begin to insert, one, our picture of who God is, and two, our own reasoning and wisdom into the circumstances. And we end up working against our own said desires. It takes biblical wisdom to stop and say, what should I do? Biblical thinking, kingdom thinking, stops and says, not just what would Jesus do, that's not enough. Yeah, we need to know what Jesus would do. We also need to say, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus think about this person? What would Jesus think about this situation? How would Jesus think? Paul's message is that we mature beyond worldly thinking and the way things make sense. Just like things that might be good for your country aren't good for your Christianity, there's certain things that you think might be good for your church that aren't good for your Christianity. Nobody said amen to that one. The milk, remember Paul uses that analogy between milk and meat? He says we need to advance beyond the milk stage. You know what the milk stage is? The milk stage is rules and regulations and traditions and specific instructions. The milk is the the letter of the law. And the letter of the law is a good and wonderful thing because it kind of readjusts us and starts us thinking properly and living the right way. Are you with me? We need those specific instructions, don't we? Somebody now, based on all that we've said today, and we're beginning to end this, I know I'm running a little long. Am I running long? Are you okay with this? Are you still with me? Okay. So if the milk are the specific instructions, the letter of the law, what's the meat? What's the meat? Love, Jesus, yeah. It's the spirit of the law. The meat is the spirit of the law. Biblical wisdom allows us to begin to think like Jesus thinks so that not only do we know His commandments, we know what He's getting at. 
We know why he said that. We know what he intended with that. It's not just simply keep the seventh day holy. It's now spiritual thinking through the person of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Jesus did more reforming of commandments than he did affirming of commandments. You following me? Yes or no? Did he talk about the Sabbath? Yes, but only in the context of you people don't even know what it's for. Right? And so there's a, a lot of a lot of Sunday keeping people that say, you know, Jesus didn't say anything about the Sabbath. Yeah, he did. And he affirmed it. But do you know how he affirmed it? By reforming it. He didn't say it doesn't matter. He said, you people are still thinking on milk. You have milk thinking. It's not wisdom. You're not understanding what the purpose of the Sabbath is. And you've made all these rules and regulations and all these things that, that go along with it. They have nothing to do with the spirit behind it. There's milk thinking and there's meat thinking. And meat thinking begins when we start thinking like the kingdom of God as we see it in the person of Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. Milk thinking is, well, this makes sense in the context of our world. Meat thinking says, wisdom thinking says, this is what makes sense in the kingdom of God. Whew. It's not just what, Jesus, what would Jesus do, it's also how would Jesus think. It's the letter and the spirit. Wisdom takes God's commandments, couples it with the testimony of Jesus' life, compares it with our own life and learning and journey, and then applies them. I'm going to have a six-step thing to end here in just a second. Milk thinking isn't full of wisdom. It's full of rules and regulations. And do you know what Paul called those? A school teacher. The school teacher tells you the rules of math. But then you've got to go live your life, don't you? And you've got to figure out how math applies to real life. I can remember asking that same question. Why are we learning this stuff? I'm never going to use it. And then it turns out later on you do, but you have to apply it to life. And that's the problem with a lot of folks, and, and all of us in some ways, are caught up in milk thinking. When you go live your life, you find that that stuff just is not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sustainable. Perfectionism is not sustainable. It doesn't work in real life. You can't sustain it. And so you end up judging other people rather than to look at yourself. Because you can't handle it. And it's sort of like <laughs> everybody's a perfect parent until you have kids. I remember this. I always embarrass my kids. I'm going to do it again. Adele, perfect baby. Like we would sit in restaurants and she would just sit there and eat quietly and the waitresses would, you know, compliment us on what wonderfully behaved children we had, a child we had, and 
They would even complain about other families. All these other parents with, with kids, they come in here and they don't, they're, they're not like her. And then about a year and a half later, we had a boy. And everything changed. And it has nothing to do with the person that deacon is. It's just that that's how it goes. We are so quick to judge on milk thinking when we're experts, right? But then life happens. When you're a kid, you, be, you think in black and white, and then you go live your life, and it's like, whoa, I, things don't fit into perfect boxes anymore. We need to start thinking, how would Jesus think? Kingdom thinking. The spirit of God's intentions. The spirit of his commandments. Why we exist as a church. What he's trying to do in our lives. Where he's taking us. So, in closing, in closing, and I know I've gone way too long today. Some of you say that other people are going, you know, these are good sermons, but pastor is, you know, going over. It's hot out there. What else are you going to do today, you know? But in closing, okay, here's six steps to exercising wise kingdom thinking. What I've actually found in my life, okay, and what I find from Scripture. Six steps to exercising wise kingdom thinking. Number one, seek to know Jesus with all of your heart. You know what I used to do with the Bible? I used to read through it simply to find proof to back up what I believe. That's how I read it. The Bible had become a collection of proof texts. And then I would go, I don't know how people can believe this or that, because clearly it says that right here. What I forgot was what we talked about earlier, is that this word is the same power that spoke creation into existence. This word is the same presence of God that dwelt in the person of Jesus Christ. When This is the Word of God. This is the testimony of God. Read the Word. Study. Pray. Talk to God. Seek to know Christ as He really is. Not as you've created in your mind. You know, the, the, the call to come out of Babylon, to come out of confusion, isn't just for people in other churches. It's for all of us. Every one of us living in the last days. All of us. Because there's confusion all around us and all in us. And God is looking for a people who will seek to know Jesus with all of their heart and their soul and their mind. Read, study, pray, talk to Him. I have a hard time, full, full disclosure, I have a hard time getting on my knees and praying. Because my mind, maybe you've noticed this, my mind does this back and forth, bounces all around. I have a hard time focusing. So I need to just talk to God throughout the day. As I'm walking around, as I'm, as I'm doing my duties, as I'm in the store, just talk to Him like a friend. Seek to know Him. Lord, show me who you are today. So number one, seek Jesus with all of your heart. Number two, think about your own journey and the lessons that you needed to learn. Maybe some of you are the kind of person that prayed for God to take away something. Lord, take away this sin. Take away this sin. Take away this sin. And he left it. 
Take away this struggle. Take away this struggle. Take away this struggle. And he left it. You know why he does that sometimes? Because he knows that if he took that thing away, he'd be just plucking fruit off from the tree. But you know where fruit, fruit starts? In the roots. Sometimes he lets us struggle with things in order to get to the root, the deeper root of the issue. Because if he plucked that fruit, plucked that behavior off the tree, another type of fruit of the same variety would just pop up somewhere else. You understand what I'm saying there? You wonder why he doesn't take the things that we ask him to take, because there are deeper issues within us that cause us to do those things. And so you have to be honest about your journey, remembering what you went through, remembering what it was like to be an awkward teenager, remembering what it was like to be in college and searching for your faith, remembering what it was like to raise your children and to be a newlywed, and what it took and the faith that it took. Because when we're in our growth process for the Lord, it's so easy to forget, and the devil wants us to forget. He wants us to forget because he wants us to forget what God brought us through, the grace that he showed us, and he wants us to forget so that we will judge other people because they're not in the same place that we are. We've got to remember where God has brought us and how he got us to the place that we're at and what we're going through at the moment. Number three, remember your own current weaknesses, struggles, addictions, and trials. It's one thing to remember things that God has brought you through. It's another thing to look at Christ and say, what am I dealing with now? And why does this all go into biblical wisdom? Tell me, why do all these things go into biblical wisdom? Why does this contribute to kingdom thinking? Nobody knows. You're falling asleep on me. I've gone too long. You know why nobody, do you know why it's, it's biblical wisdom? Because it tells us how God deals with us. It's the psychology of the work of God. It's the experiential walk with the Lord. It's the tangible stuff that he's done in our lives. Are you with me? It's the tangible stuff. And when you understand that tangible work that he's done on your mind and your life and your heart, now you begin to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Because it's the places where he's actually physically shown up. Lord, I needed you to remove this struggle from me. And we went through, Lord, we went through this entire process. And you think back to those things, you say, Lord, what did you do? Where were you in those moments? What testimony do I have because of what you brought me through? And you begin to see, oh, that was Jesus here, and that was Jesus here. And his face becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Number four, love people and engage in discipling them. It is so important. Do you know why that is? Because if you're only thinking of yourself, again, the tendency is to only create a God of your own design. But when you need to see God show up in other people's lives, maybe for struggles that you don't have, God becomes clearer from angles that you've never seen before. We need each other. You show me an extremely judgmental Christian, and I will show you someone who has never led anybody to Christ. 
whoo, it got quiet in here. Because when you're constantly leading people to Jesus, you know all of the stuff that he has to bring people out of and the stuff that he's working people through and the things that we make a big deal, you go, are you kidding me? Can I tell you a story? We're just going to run long. We're almost done. I'm going to tell you a story because this is important. When I, was a, when I was first a Bible worker working in my first church, okay, um, I had just come out of Bible school, evangelism school, and I, I believed, you know, you teach the doctrines this way, and you, you go through the studies, and you, you stick to your material, and you do all these things. Um, I had been studying with a couple for several months, and this couple, I knew, had a problem with cocaine. And the next study, what do you, what do you suppose the next study I was supposed to do with them was? Health. And most of our studies, do you know what they focus on? Food, what you eat, right? So I've got the study in my hand. I'm getting out of the car. I go up to the door, and just before I knock on the door, do you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? Dustin, you're about to make vegetarian crack addicts. And I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know what to say. But it was the truth. I was. I was about to make vegetarian crack addicts. And I said, this can't be what it's about. There has to be a spirit behind this that I've, that I've been missing. And he taught me a lot that day. So, so to know God and to know his gospel and to know the cross and to have good biblical wisdom and kingdom thinking, you have got to be engaged in soul winning discipling people. You have to. Because you realize that the stuff we think are big aren't big. Not when you're bringing people out of stuff like that. And depression and anxiety and marital issues. And, and you know, we're in here talking about pants or dresses and this person's marriage is failing. They haven't talked to their kids in six months. People, what are we doing to ourselves? Someone's broken, and they're wanting to come in here, and we're saying, you're not dressed like me, so you can't come for the healing that Christ offers? That is not wisdom. There are other words that I could come up with for it, but I'll stop and not use them. I think you can come up with them yourself. Number five, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and receive the gentleness implanted in the word. That comes from James. Because, do you know, most of our first inclinations are not mingled with biblical wisdom. So we need to stop, listen. Not listen in order to respond. I do that all the time. I'm only listening so I can answer what you're saying. I'm not actually listening Listen, be slow to speak, slow to anger, and receive the gentleness implanted in the world in the word. Number six, constantly compare who you think God is to the person of Jesus Christ. There are some of you in here who have grown up with the idea that God the Father wants to kill you and that you can't stand before him 
without being perfect. We read the verse today that said, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. When you think of God, you're supposed to think of Jesus. There are people that have grown up with the idea that God wants to kill you and Jesus wants to save you. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If Jesus wants to save you, so does the Father. So we constantly, because God is invisible and because he's high and infinite, he's beyond our comprehension, we're so easily confused and make a God of our own design and our own head and apply our thinking and our, our, our wisdom and our choices with the God of our own head and then apply that God to other people. We constantly, daily, need to compare God the Father with God the Son and realize they are one. We've said a ton of stuff today. But it was important. Number six, constantly compare who you think God the Father is with Jesus. Number four. You know what I'll put later? I'll, I'll repeat this, but later I will put this on the Facebook page so you all can check it and, and see the steps. Number four was love people and engage in discipling them. Love people and engage in discipling them. This was important. This was more like a camp meeting sermon. I've given this at camp meeting before. But it's important because I see us as Christians so often making a God of our own design and then applying that God to the life of other people and making people atheists toward a God that doesn't even exist. Whew. God forbid. God the Father and God the Son are one. And I'm going to say, Al, you got, you're off the hook for a closing song. Philip, if you want to lead us out with, with, with the song on the organ, and I'm just going to have our closing prayer right now. But let me ask you this today. Are you willing to go through the process of using true biblical wisdom? Thought, stop thinking according to the, the thinking of the world. Get the political stuff out of your life, the conspiracy theories, all that nonsense. Start thinking of who Jesus is. Think about your life. Think about where he's brought you. Think about how people need him. Compare the Father with the Son. And stop just saying, what would Jesus do? And start saying, how would Jesus think? Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, we've, we've run long today, but Lord, it's, it was an important thing. Lord, because we live in this world, we are so wired to think according to the world's ways. To try to make sense of this whole thing through our own eyes and our own minds and our own thinking. Lord, it's, it's just, it's natural. But Lord, you created this world and then you came as the word to clear up the confusion to put to shame the thinking of the world, the wisdom of the world, to put to shame our own ideas, to show us who you really are, to clear up all the confusion. So Lord, today, we are committing to seek Jesus as he really is. Because by knowing him, we know you. 
We don't want to worship a God anymore of our own design. We want to worship a God that's far bigger than what can fit between our ears. We want to worship the infinite God, and we want to see you clearly. So, Lord, show us Jesus. Help us to remember where you've brought us. Help us to see your character through your Son. Help us to disciple people the way Jesus would want us to. Lord, help us not to just think according to the milk of your teaching, the the letter of the law. Help us also to think according to the spirit of the law, not just what would Jesus do, but how would Jesus think? What is this all about? Lord, may we see you more clearly so our relationship with you can be stronger. And may we apply that relationship to how we treat other people. Oh, Lord, change us by beholding your Son. We thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're all about because you gave us flesh and blood. It was you who was saying, Son, go show yourselves to the priests and you'll be healed. Son, take up your bed and walk. Your faith has made you whole. That was you. And it's been you calling to us through the gospel of Christ every day of our lives. May we start thinking according to that wisdom. May we see as you see. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.